Technology is amazing. It's brought us this podcast you're listening to right now. There's nothing wrong with technology. It's been here for a long time. However, what happens when we go too far? And what does Satan want to do with that? (laughs) Welcome to Drilling Down. Hey guys, thanks so much for being here. How long will this series go? I have no idea. Who cares? You're here. I'm here. I'm doing it while I can. Still in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Trying to get these um, get these done for you guys so that I can distribute them uh, equally. Once again, I don't do these and then just release them the second I do them because you people are relentless, man. You are. You're like, I can work 40 hours on one episode and release it and you listen to it in an hour and a half and you're like what's up man where's the next one you slacker I'm just a man guys and I don't do this full time I don't even do this part time I do this out of the goodness of my heart (laughs) and because I preached for so many years and I don't preach anymore I may never preach again in my life so you people get to you get to deal with this side of it Thank you for listening, guys. We have thousands, millions, maybe even trillions of listeners. Let's just go with that. I'm happy you're here. This is going to be a good one today, a little bit of a wild ride. We're going to take it from the technology side of things and how much uh, technology has burgeoned in the last 150 years. And then we are going to move it into, I promised you a thing about Jacob and Esau and how we're going to talk about Satan usurping. Ooh, and it's really going to start to tickle your fancy. This music, right? Are you liking this new music? It's funny. um, When I have to go back every once in a while, listen to older episodes of mine, either figure out what I said or whatever. I remember new intros, or I do new intros all the time. I get bored. And uh, some of them are like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that one sucked. (laughs) Whatever. Hey, I'm glad you're here. This is usually where I try to get really dramatic. Because the music's about to pick up. And when I say something important, I want you to hear it. And I want you to feel that vibe. Even when the drums kick in, I want you to be there. In that moment. Alright, whatever. Ooh, there's a little drum roll. Alright, shut up, Kyle. Technology good. Technology too far? What is too far? I mean, hey, I'm not one of these freak podcasters who goes around saying that, you know, 5G is bad. Man, was that the was that the deal a couple years ago? I mean, 
even with the pandemic, them saying we had to stand six feet apart so that the 5G could separate us and know which one was us and which one was the person in front. And I mean, these 5G rumors went like wildfire. I had people emailing me, texting me, hey, listen to this guy's podcast. Listen to this one. This is truly the end of the world. And to each and every one, I looked at them and I said, chill, my friend. This is just better internet. Now, does 5G open up a category for different uh, computing that, uh, you know, could do that D-wave thing into other dimensions? It could, but it's not on your cell phone. But I also assure you anything that is turned out to the public has been utilized by our military and our governments for at least 20 years. And I mean at least. All right. I don't know how much I'm going to rabbit trail on this one, but I hope to do it a lot. You're welcome. Uh, we should only have one or two more in this particular series. And hey, if you got any votes on what you want to hear or you want me to expound on, uh, go ahead, email drillingdownpodcast at gmail.com. I'm no longer accepting support at Venmo. It's been compromised. I don't know what I'm going to do. You got any bright ideas? Let me know. You got anything you want me to read on the show, on the air? Podcast at gmail.com. The truth is, I don't know when the last time I uh, logged into that email. I should probably check that. All right. I don't know why you guys listen to this show. It's hilarious. The more I drive around and fly around the country, I'm listening to tons of podcasts and i'm thinking these people are all doing it they're you know they're being supported either by their network or it's their job or you people are paying them and i'm thinking to myself uh wow that uh they're putting a good thing out there and here i am just pooping it out my butt every chance i get I wish I could do better for you guys, but I have a career and it's going well and I'm thankful. All right, let's rabbit trail. So just life stuff. Let's talk life with Uncle Kyle. Um, I came into this company a few years ago when I got out of ministry completely. And by the way, um, it's a funny story. I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jason Tucker, about this the other day. He was hanging out with me for a bit. And we were just talking about the old days. And then starting starting churches in Ann Arbor and all that stuff. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, now I'm looking back on it. I can see God was trying to call me out of ministry from like 2013 on. I had been in it since 95. Um, and But I wouldn't let go. And then, you know, things got, you know, we left our, our church I'd been at for so long. Things got a little hairy uh, on the old departure there. And... uh and then we went up, started churches in Ann Arbor, and every every single thing I tried, no matter how hard I tried, was not. It just wasn't working. I mean, doors closed after doors closed, and I just all I did is kept trying to work harder. <laughs> and God was, uh, I believe, calling me out of ministry because I had something uh, important to do. And it turns out that it, I feel like it's this career that I'm doing. Now I'm on the corporate side of things here, uh, the W two side. 
instead of the 1099 and traveling the country, um, helping these men and women and being there as a support for anything I can do, as well as helping to further the mission, vision, values of this company. And it's just, uh, I got to pinch myself. So I guess what I'm trying to say is to some of you who think you are defined by something, uh, I had um, actually Kelly Sawyer. Thank you, Kelly. I don't think anyone that you even know listens to this, but she inboxed me the other day on Facebook and said, man, I pulled up an old sermon of yours and it, it was just, it was so good. And, you know, th- this thing was probably from, it had to be from the early 2000s to mid 2000s, right in there. And, and I was like, wow, I, you know, I thanked her and everything, but I thought to myself, that was funny because that's what used to define me. How many times do I preach this year? How good is my sermon? How many people thought it was awesome? <laughs> and, uh, I haven't, I probably preached four times in the last seven years and there's a good chance I will never preach again. I'm just out of it. Uh, but it didn't, I thought it defined me. It doesn't. I thought my music career defined me at one point. It doesn't. I don't even do that anymore. I don't do any of that anymore. I just try to go where God says go. What am I talking about? So I just want to be an encouragement to you. If you find yourself in a place where you're going, oh my gosh, am I going to be used for anything? I'll give you a little hint. Okay, just a little, just a little nuggy. Just a little nuggy from Uncle Kagao. Here we go. I have some people at my current company that have been here a long time. Well, in, in my company's age, eight to nine years is a long time because it's only been around for nine, nine years or so. And I have a few that really, you know, were wanting my position before I was kind of just picked as the right guy for it. And, you know, thankfully. Anyway, I don't want to go into details on that, but, but I was talking to Rachel the other night and uh, I just told her, you know, I had one, one person at our company reach out and say, how did you do it? How, how, what did you do in order to, to, um, climb the ladder? Uh, which I wasn't climbing the ladder. I was just working. I was just doing what I was doing. But there is a component that I was laughing because I, I, I was talking to Rachel and my kids and I just said, you know, guys, just listen to this. I said, and they don't really listen to me unless I ask them to. So I asked them to. And I wanted this person that asked me this was not, it's just not a Christian at all. You know, no concept of that whatsoever. And just really wants to climb a ladder. <laughs> and I just said, I, I wanted to, I wanted to look at them on the phone <laughs> and say, you know what? I'll tell you how I did it. You want to know? And they'd say, yeah. And they'd lean right in. And I would say every single morning, no matter what I have to do that day, and I'm not a pastor anymore, long since not a pastor, I don't, I don't have that time to dedicate during the day at all. So I get up an hour to two hours earlier than I even have to. And I get in my Bible every single morning. That's what I want to tell them. And they look at me like, are you insane? And then I'd say, and then I study and I get on my knees before the Lord before I leave every single day. And I say, God, if you don't, if you don't go before me here, fight any battles I've got. If you don't like open doors, shut doors, I'm not going anywhere. You're not, you're not going. When you go, I'm going. It's going to sound crazy. It's going to look crazy to everyone on social media as to what are the grays doing? It's going to look nuts. But every 
single day, I am going to beg you to go before me. And then I'm only going to follow where you go. I'm only going to do what you say, even, even if it takes years, which it did, months. And I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. And I want to look at that person and say, that's how you get somewhere in life. And they would look at me the same way the rich ruler did to Jesus when he said, dude, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, man, that's fantastic. This is going to be great. Jesus is like, you're going to love this because you actually have to give up everything, all your wealth, and then you can follow me. And it doesn't say that you, you don't have to be, you know, wealthy as a Christian. You can be blessed in that capacity. That's not saying that, but this is where that guy's heart was. And he was disheartened and he walked away. And this is exactly what this person on the phone would have said to me, like, you're insane. But that's exactly what I'm doing in life. I have been, Kyler, are you ever going to start this episode? No. You get me out of town, man. I ain't got nobody to talk to. Except the Lord, when I bug my wife, she's busy working. I have been on the mountaintop in life. And I have also been in the valley. Here's your knowledge, Nuggy, from Uncle Kyle. The mountaintop's awesome. Everybody looks at you and goes, dang. He worked so hard to climb up there. I bet the views are amazing. I wish I was up there. I don't have the fortitude to get up there. I don't, I've never even been asked to be up there. I'm, I don't even have a, a way to get up there. Let me tell you something about the mountaintop. I've also been in the valleys and I mean the worst of the worst for my family. Hard, hard times. Okay. Uh, short of losing, a, uh, you know, one of my kids or Rachel. Okay. Short of that, toughest times of my life over the last few years. Let me tell you something. Here's the truth. I was just uh, in the Denver area, and I was through the Rockies. I went to um, Aspen. Um, you know, in between claims and everything, to see guys. Stop by Aspen. Stop by Vale. Stop by Breckenridge. So I was in the heart of those beautiful, beautiful mountains there. And I was reminded of what I'm telling you right now, that when you're on the top of the mountain, it takes even more praying, begging, putting on the full armor, getting in the word, laying as flat on the top of that mountain as you can into the dirt so that you tell God, I, I can't even, I can't even get up without you. You know why it takes that? Because there's no food on the top of the mountain. There's no water. It's truly only death, and you can't stay up there for long. And when you're driving through the Rockies, you'll see that. You'll look up and go, wow, that's beautiful, but there's nothing up there. It's desolate. It's rocky. It's snowy. It's what it is. It's hard. People climb up there, but they don't stay for long. Because highways are built into the valleys just to be easier, Right? When you go, if you've never driven through the Rockies to go out west, it's, it's not, you're, you know, I mean, there are some cliffs and stuff like that, but for the most part, it was, they built the highways for the ease, the ease of getting through. My point is, is that you're normally in the valley where there's these beautiful, lush green trees. And I mean, like bush light, Coors light type of just rivers and streams flowing through there. And you just, you picture yourself with, you know, snow capped mountains all around and, and you can just get out of your car and just reach into the river and grab a cold beer. It's, it's in there. You don't even have to look just it grows on there 
one one time I was in between Aspen and Vail. I was near the Continental Divide and I come, I came up on this valley and there was no one around, right? It's two lane road. I'm in this valley and these mountains were just stretched as high as they could be all around me and tight all around me. And there was this flowing river and you know, I'm a fly fisherman or at least I'm, I've been <clears throat> working hard at it and I was kicking myself because I had flown to Denver, so I didn't bring my fly gear, and here I am. So I get out of my car, and it's dead quiet, and I walk down this little path, and I get to where the stream is flowing, and you hear this babbling stream crystal clear with these jettisoned rocks and this these pebbles lining the beach, and I the sun was, you know, it was 102 down in Denver, and when you get up into the mountains, it can be 62 or 72, and at this point, it was probably like 72, 74, and sunny, and you know that perfect temperature, and I looked up and I couldn't catch my breath. I told Rachel this later. I was so, I was almost hyperventilating at the beauty that was literally around me, dead quiet, nobody anywhere, probably a Sasquatch sitting right there staring at me. And I laid down on the brook in, in, in the pebbles and I, I cried. I had never been somewhere that beautiful in my life. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And here that came in the valley. And here that came, um, at a very unexpected time. I wasn't looking for it. I was actually headed for the top of the mountain. So when you're in the valley, trust me, you're in a good place if you're doing, if you do it right. If you surrender, if you be patient, if you ask God. I mean, that's the place where Elijah got fed, you know, like by the stream. That's what happens. That's where life is. You can use it to grow. Or you can use it to die. And I got to that mountain. And it's great for a little while, but you have to do it right. And then you have to be prepared to go back to the valley. Because only in the valley can you live. And I don't mean you have to lose everything. I don't mean you have to give everything up like I did. I don't mean you have to not know where you're going in life at all. It was tough on my family and my kids. It was tough. But what's come out of that is something I could have never, ever fathomed. There's your nuggy. I'm sentimental today, guys. Maybe, maybe I'll weave some of that in here. Some life stuff. All right. The explosion of technology. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of unique. Like I look at my kids. They, my kids are truly that generation at <clears throat> 21, 19, 17, where they, they don't know life without a, a phone and a handheld device. Uh, even Adia, it born just after 9-11 in 2001, um, like a month after the attacks. She was still born into a household with a computer there in the house and laptops starting to get popular. By the time she was old enough to get her first phone, I'll never forget, I got her one. And I was pumped to get her one so at least she'd be able to call. And it was a flip phone because this was 2006 or something, whatever it was. And 
she was, you know, it was that age where I think she was responsible enough. I don't remember what year it was, but I'll never forget. I gave her this freaking flip phone. I went and bought it for her and everything was pink and I was so pumped for her. I gave her some stickers to put on it and she was bummed that it wasn't a more of a smartphone because Apple had just come out with the iPhone and her friends had that. I remember thinking, you little, mm. Anyway, uh, I am still part of that generation at 40, I'll be 48 in a few weeks. Uh, so I was part of that generation that we, you know, I did have from my, you know, we did have cable. It had just come out. It was brand new. Again, it had that A, B switch and you flip it to A and B and, you know, the Atari uh, had just come out and these arcades were starting to pop up all over the place in the late seventies, early eighties. So I had some of that, but we didn't have phones and we didn't have home computers until I was in probably even junior high. And those didn't do anything. You had to like put a floppy disk in to be able to play a game like Jordan versus bird got in the old Commodore 64. Anyway, my point is, is that technology is awesome. And my kids can't even relate to the life that I grew up on, where if I want to, you know, call my friend and see if what he was doing that day down the street, you want to go hang out, you want to go, you know, illegally into the golf course and do some, do some questionable things down the street. Yes. I had to call and then his parents would answer. Uh, and I'd have to actually talk to his parents for a moment. Maybe he was taking a dump in the bathroom. One of my friend's moms always calls. She's like, Bruce is in the library, you know. Cause he was reading a book in there. He was in there forever or a magazine. And, uh, and then you had to like talk to their parents and then you eventually get a hold of them on the old rotary phone. So I won't go into like how much technology is advanced. You guys get that. Some of you are much older than me and you know, you have some funny stories too. So nothing wrong with technology. I've never been against it. I'm always for it, man. I told you if they can come out with a chip that will plant inside my body. That will allow me to get rid of my phone and everything can be done like I'm in, man. Make things easier for me. You know, the, uh, I bought a, I bought a car that I use for my company, but it's, you know, drives itself, so to speak. Really the steering side of it, you know, you see all the commercials where they're doing the we will rock you thing while the steering, steering itself. Trust me, it's not that good. But the brake and the gas thing's amazing. Like I can drive six hours, guys, from one city to another if I'm not flying and I never touch my gas or my brakes. It does everything for me. I just set it. I want to go 80 and if I'm behind a car or in traffic and we're going 72, it's braking. It's keep me the same distance behind that car. You literally can fall asleep minus having to steer. Anyway, technology is great. I freaking love it. I got Wi-Fi in my car so I can open up my laptop. It's got its own Wi-Fi and I can run, you know, work right off my laptop no matter where I'm at. It's got the, the OnStar, the GPS so that um, my, if I'm in the rural areas, my, you know, my phone with Apple Maps, Google Maps, it's, it doesn't go out. It's satellite. It's right there on my dash. You know, it's great. Technology is great. I love it. I embrace it. But now we're living in the days where just recently, and again, I don't like to date this show, but we had a guy from Google that just got canned. And I think they're trying to press charges. I, 
I'm not positive on that side of it, but he got in a lot of trouble because he was pretty, you know, high up or into the AI side of things there. And he claimed he quit because their AI went sentient. Yeah. On some level, that thing went sentient. And you know, that's the thing everybody's terrified of. So. Uh, I think we are at that dangerous age, and I don't want to sound like that get-off-my-lawn guy, old guy. Hey, you! Technology's crazy, man. Back in my day, we had to actually talk to each other. I don't want to be that guy. But I was part of the age of the home computers coming up for the first time. Uh, it was probably... This would have been 88, around 1988 or 1987. I think I've told this story before, but I was spending the night at who now is one of my brother-in-laws, Brad Felsky. But at the time, he was in my class at my school, ended up marrying Rachel's sister down the line. But uh, I was friends with him, and I'd go over and spend the night. My mom would drop me off at his house, and we were in probably sixth grade, and uh, he was super into computers. And he's done well in that field ever since. And uh, he... He had the first Atari ST, you know, that uh, 1040 ST that I had, you know, never even heard of. And we get there and he's got these things called bulletin boards and we're able to go on. Of course, you hear the modem screech all up like a dying cat and you're like, dang, what's going on? And then all of a sudden you could type a few things and someone else somewhere in the world would respond to you. And I remember being mind blown. Okay. So we come a long way. <laughs> We've come to the year, let's, I don't, I don't want to cover all that, but we, we get to the year 2000, let's say 2010, 2015. Uh, truly the most isolated tribes in the world, minus, um, uh, what's the island? Sentient, not sentient. I just said it's a sentient island, whatever it is. Um, anyway, where those, those people, they'll kill you if you come around. Like they literally just want to sentinel island. They just want to kill you if you come around. So they don't, they know planes and boats. They see them and stuff like that. But, Okay, whatever. We've had a lot of missionaries that went there and at least passed the good word on before they got slaughtered. But anyway, anyone ever, even aboriginal tribes and all this stuff now are us, utilizing technology. You know, I've, I've been in Central America many times, uh, big time third world country jungles type of things. And they all know, they all get what the internet is. Some of them even have it in their house made of, uh, cereal boxes and garbage. They somehow have a computer, not a nice one. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So we've come a long way. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this all the time. We went from horse and buggies, uh, you know, in the, in the, let's say in the year 1900, even still horse and buggies everywhere. Cars were just starting to happen. And from there till 69 years later, we are on the moon. And how we got there, we've discussed many, many times here. I, you know what I believe about that. I won't have to get into that too much at this point. But we are indeed in the information age. And it's, I think, propelling us to where we're at today in something that is very, very uh, parallel to the Tower of Babel. Again, you know they weren't trying to build something so high that they actually reached heaven, and that's why God said we got to do something about this, right? Because we have skyscrapers now. God's not doing anything about that. Uh, 
In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't about homosexuality because we're way more homosexuals now and God's not raining fire on the earth. Okay. Uh, we got a problem going right now. And I always knew that the internet, when it was coming around, was going to be that key to where, like, the whole earth has got to, the internet is key actually in biblical prophecy. I've talked about that a lot. You know that. We have this internet. It's the interwebs, guys. You familiar with it? The internet of things, by the way, if, you know, that's been around for years. I forget what professor coined that, but it's the idea that soon, Everything will be connected. And the internet may, may look vastly different in 20 years. By the time my kids have kids in 10 years or whatever, even. It's going to look vastly different. But it's never, we're never going back. So that's the first thing you have to understand. The internet is only going to get bigger, stronger, deeper, more encompassing, and more menacing. And I think it's far beyond that for many agencies right now that are 30 years beyond us. Everything's going to be connected. And why shouldn't it be? That would be so easy for us, right? And I believe that is a sign that we are living in the end times. Okay, we'll get there. Um, you know what? Live on the air. I am going to, cause I'm in my hotel. I'm getting ready to switch hotels. I'm getting ready to go. I've been in DC for a few days seeing all the inspectors here and I'm going to go up to uh, Baltimore and stay there for a few days. So I got this little time here in between switching and guys routes that I am going to record this. So I need to get my reading glasses, which are in my backpack on my couch in my hotel behind me. And I'm not going to pause it. That's what you people get. Man, I keep my hotel, guys. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I'm gonna get my glasses wipes while I'm at it. Yeah, that's right. I keep glass cleaner wipes things. I keep my hotel. People would think I'm a serial killer, guys. Um, because of how clean and meticulous my hotel is and how everything that I own has a very specific place. Where do I put those? Oh, are they in here? Shut up, all you guys. Well, this is, oh, oh no, they're in here. <laughs> these backpacks, these travel backpacks, guys, have so many freaking zippers. That's a Purell. That's a wipe I got from a restaurant. Oh, here we go. I'm not really about this without editing. There we go. I have moved from a professional podcast to one that is straight up. What the hell is this guy doing? Oh, okay. I don't have my ear. I don't have my headphones on yet. So, chill. By the way, do you guys do that too when you pull out those glasses cleaners? The first thing you gotta do is smell it. Oh man, I just got high. So good. Okay, let me wipe these glasses. This is so bad, you guys. Please come back for the next episode. I swear it might be better than this one. I doubt it, though. I'm kind of at that point where I don't need this for anything. Nobody pays me to do this.
<laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I don't, I'm not in church work anymore. So like if I piss one of you guys off or say something you don't like, I don't care. That was the worst thing about being in church is like you said something, you made somebody mad and you had to like retract it. I'm like, why, if I'm telling the truth, why have to do that? All right, here we go. Oh, I'm happy for all you guys that are in ministry though. That's awesome. Okay. Ow. <laughs> oh gosh, that's nice. I can see. Even though I have my iPad 12.9 inch pro in front of me, which should be big enough. <sighs> So, Tim, onto the book. Wow, 33 minutes. Uh, Timothy Alberino, of course, in Birthright. We're going to get to that title of that book here very soon, as far as what's going on with that. He calls this the, the next transformative age that I believe is coming very soon is the hybrid age. And he says, in which the conflux of hybridization of emerging technologies will give us the tools to radically alter the sociobiological construct of the human species. Now, this is this is getting into Bible stuff. So, technology, good, awesome. Uh, even your smartphones being able to detect if you're sick or not, or you know you're having a heart attack. That's fantastic. Or you need your meds or whatever it is. I'm all in on that stuff. It's fine until it changes what you are. And that is happening. I'll read from Timothy's book, Birthright. After all, that is why we're here. <clears throat> Yikes. In the hybrid age, men will merge with their machines to transcend the limitations of their bodies. Now, this is already happening with some army and military stuff. Uh, the computing technology we hold in our hands will be integrated into our brains. And we will surf the web with our minds rather than with our fingers. Yes. Right? No more arguments. You can never argue about anything because you have the facts right there. What a world we live in. Synthetic organs will be ready for installation in medical facilities when our natural organisms fail. This is crazy to think about. And cybernetic prosthetics will replace lost or damaged limbs. Nanobots will patrol our vascular highways to destroy pathogens and provide maintenance to our cells. Diseases will be cured by editing defective genes and superhuman abilities will become possible through engineering new ones. Our babies will be designed rather than conceived and artificial wombs will be, will emancipate women from the bearing of children and the curse of Eve. Hereditary genetic disorders will become obsolete. The average life expectancy in the developed world will soar over 100 years old. This is only a sampling of the utopian vision cast by futurists for the hybrid age. Some of it will surely come to pass, but not without a price. He goes on to give more scenarios as to that, as I'm going to rearrange some things here without editing. Deal with it. Uh, scary to think about. So he gives some more examples there. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to leave that for the book. But I love what he says here. The transitional phase between human and post-human is called transhuman. You've heard that word. Talked about that quite a bit. Today, a growing international consortium of leading academics, law professors, uh, bioethicists, and military advisors are members of a transhuman movement also known as Humanity Plus or 
the word humanity with the plus sign. You can look that up for yourself, which advocates expedited development and implementation of human enhancement technologies. According to Tom Horn, one of the leading researchers on this subject, transhumanists intend to use genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology, which is G-R-I-N, GRIN technologies, as tools that will radically redesign our minds. Redesign is the key word. Our minds, our memories, our physiology, our offspring, and even perhaps, as Joel Guerrero in his best-selling book, Radical Evolution, claims, redesign our very souls. Yikes. Extreme Tech Magazine underscores the primary motivation of the movement, eternal life. Now, that's the goal. You always know that I've told you a wealthy elite runs this world. And I know it sounds stupid and Illuminati-ish and all that kind of things. Our countries don't run the world, guys. There's no money there. (laughs) We have the oldest families running the world right now, empowered by the fallen ones, with an agenda for eternal life, with an agenda to change the human genome, to make it superior in such a way that they can live hopefully forever. Transhumanism, Timothy says, is a cultural and intellectual movement that believes we can and should improve the human condition through the use of advanced technologies. One of the core concepts in transhumanist thinking is life extension. Through genetic engineering, nanotech, cloning, and other emerging technologies, eternal life may soon be possible. That's crazy, right? Likewise, transhumanism, transhumanists are interested in the ever-increasing number of technologies that can boost our physical, intellectual, and psychological capabilities beyond what humans are naturally capable of. So that's the whole goal. Make us better than human because what we are is not good enough. Made in the image of God, not good enough. Made so that no one can even understand how complex our eyes are. And the innermost workings of our bodies being, you know, 90% water. And if water were to instantly leave our bodies, we would just be an ounce of dust on the ground. How much, it's just how crazy our bodies are. The injunction that we can and should improve the human condition through the use of advanced technologies is piously touted by transhumanists everywhere, many of whom argue that we have a moral obligation not only to mitigate suffering, but to eliminate death. Now, when did death happen? Death was a result of the fall, right? And I've talked about this before. I believe death is a thing. It's an entity because it's going to be swallowed up forever one day. It's going to be defeated. The idea and the reason, remember, Adam and Eve were never supposed to die, right? And then they eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they they fall. Uh, There's some cool things I want to say about that, but I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold off. And you're like, Kyle, you still have things you've never told us? I do. I can't put everything in one episode, guys. You're never going to come back. Jeez. Bury the lead, dude. All right. Uh, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So they... So they fall. 
and this death thing is going to happen, but God has to put a few cherubim in front of the gate of the garden, so to speak, so they can never go back to the garden is God's nation, by the way. It's, it is a nation, and it was here before mankind. It is a, it's a nation. The garden is just one part man was put into. So they can never go back to this nation. Why? Because the tree of life is there. Well, what's the big deal about the tree of life? Number one, it's going to be in the, the very, very, very end heaven. It's, we're going to eat of its leaves. And that is what keeps us living forever. Yeah, I know. So and it's got to play in the millenniums, things like that. But the, I believe that tree of life is up the, is up now in the throne room of God waiting for these things to happen. We're not going to get into the tree of life right now. <laughs> kind of though. Uh, so wh- why didn't God want them to go back? Cause he did say, we, they, I, I need to block this. They can never, they can never get back to the tree of life. Cause that's all they're going to want to do is they just want to live forever. All of them. And God says, you know, and that's what everybody's doing now. That's what the Illuminati is doing. Everyone has always been in search of this way to live forever. It's like cryo, generizing, ashitaceousing, yeah, themselves after they die so that hopefully we can bring them back at some point. This is the goal. Live forever. And God says, I don't want you to live forever now because you're fallen. So if you think of the repercussions, this is just me projecting now. If you were just to think of the repercussions of Adam and Eve sneaking back in and getting that tree of life after they had fallen, what does that mean? Well, Kyle, they would have lived forever. Yeah, but they're sinful, so they would have died. How can they live forever and die at the same time? Would they have just had to live forever in a sinful state? Because that means, truly means they would they would forever be decaying because death brought that. They wouldn't live forever just in a sin state. They would live forever dissolving, decaying, dying like the universe. Anyway, I don't want to get into that too much right now, but that is the goal is living forever. Timothy has a quote here, the work of Christ, which is obviously what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection three days later to defeat death once and for all so that we can have the chance at eternal life to trust in him as our Lord and Savior. The work of Christ, he says, is meaningless to those who intend to evade death through the salvitic power of technology. So there is going to become this idea that we don't need Jesus to bounce on death and avoid it and live forever. We can do it through technology. We truly can. And someday, guys, there's going to be an elder race that comes and tells us they have that ability to give to us. And that's how it's going to happen. And th- they may not look like gods from another planet, but they might very much they might very well be incredible world leaders and scientists that we're in awe of. And that's the idea. He goes on to quote uh, in his book a few different uh, news articles and all that kind of stuff along those lines. Again, get the book. Uh, In all these show notes of all this series, I'm linking the book. So he goes on and talks about a lot of that. And then he says, all of this is reminiscent of Revelation 17, where men are compelled to worship the image of the beast and receive the mark or face the dire consequences. It's Timothy Alberino's opinion, guys, that the mark of the beast is much more than a chip implanted in the hand or a barcode imprinted on the forehead. I agree wholeheartedly. You have to want to become one with this thing, a conscious decision to become something other than human. And it is your choice to have Jesus or 
have this thing. Or, you know, your pathway to eternity, let's say, is either going to be chosen through Jesus Christ and his salvation. And yeah, you're going to have to die a physical death. It's going to be rough. Or you could live forever. And we'll show you how. Timothy goes on to talk about how enticing that path, that left-hand path would be. And the vast majority of people were eagerly, eagerly line up to receive their evolutionary upgrade. Not everyone's going to comply, of course, and they'll be killed for it. But we are getting to the point, and we have to ask ourselves, how far are we willing to go to improve the human condition by the time we truly get to the point that we become something other than human because we are hitting that point. I believe we are there. <laughs> you know, they're building a new, they're pitching to build a new CERN by 2026. They much, much bigger. I think you fit four of these CERNs in the next one. I'd like to get into what, what that's doing, but I want to go back to the Bible. <laughs> Kyle, this podcast sucks, man. You talk about the Bible too much. So this idea has a lot of parallels. This idea of choosing between Jesus and choosing between technology. Um, the, the idea is, our birthright is given to us through Jesus Christ. Like now we, you know, God put us here, you know, um, of course, in Genesis, early Genesis, you know, we are put here to be rulers of the earth and to subdue it. We have a birthright to this earth that Satan and his angels do not have, and they hate that. We have a birthright to Jesus Christ if we will accept it, and a soul that can help us live forever superior to angels, and they hate that. All Satan does is usurp, correct? He just keeps usurping, trying to usurp God one way or another all throughout the Bible. The question is, will you give up your birthright to Jesus Christ in order to accept what this Antichrist is going to offer you? Where else in the, let's say the Old Testament primarily, did we see a birthright being given up for something as measly as a bowl of stew because someone was hungry? And I know that sounds crazy, but it happened. And the nation of Israel was born out of it. So I love in chapter 13 of Birthright, what Timothy Alberino does with the Jacob and Esau stuff. And I've touched on this before in the past with the redness of Esau and what red signifies in the Bible because in, in, in prophecy and all those things, red and purple um, mean very specific things because they, those dyes in those days to make the red and to make the, make the crimson and to make the purple Colors were extremely rare and very hard to do, and you had to dive to get these certain muscles and clams and stuff that could um, produce that 
uh, and only royalty wore them or someone of very high significance. So there's this red theme in the Bible. Also interesting that Adam was made out of the dirt and out of the clay. And Adam means red man. So, you know, Adam was definitely red in color. I'm not saying like screeching, you know, blood red. I'm saying like more of probably your Native American style like that. He was red of the earth. Anyway, I don't break into that too much, but here we go. I'm going to read from Birthright. The story begins with Rebecca. You know the story. The wife of Isaac and daughter-in-law of Abraham, who was barren. And we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. God brings his nation Israel out of impossible circumstances. Laughable people who couldn't have kids. And that's what he does, right? Isaac prays for his wife and she became pregnant with twins. When the time comes to deliver the babies, something rather bizarre occurs. Bible says, the first came forth red, all his body like a hairy mantle. <laughs> so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth, and his hand had taken hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, right? The first boy to emerge from Rebecca's womb looked like the red spawn of Bigfoot, Timothy says. And I agree with him. There is some wording in here that you just come, oh, he's just red hair guy. No, there is some wording in here that is what is happening with Esau. Twins are, after all, supposed to resemble one another, are they not? Something was wrong with this picture. Even if Jacob and Esau were fraternal twins as opposed to identical twins, the fact that one of them was red and hairy like a mantle should give you pause. Timothy says, as previously established, Esau means red. He would later be called Edom. So anytime you see the Edomites or anything in the Bible, it's a descendant of Esau. Jacob means heel holder or supplanter because he had taken hold of Esau's heel. He would later be called Israel. As you know, the story of Jacob and Esau revolves around the concept of a birthright. In ancient times, a father before passing away would bequeath his patriarchal authority and material possessions to his firstborn son as an inheritance. So for me, that would be Cason. A birthright. Once given, the blessing of the birthright could not be rescinded. It could, however, be abdicated. As Esau was born first, the birthright belonged to him. Jacob was grabbing that thing as he was coming out, kind of like, you know, kind of like this war in the womb of saying, get, I want to be first. Why do you get to be first? Jacob, by the way, during his life, is not a great guy. <laughs> God uses not great guys. When Isaac was on his deathbed and blind, their dad, the time came to bestow the birthright to Esau. After all, he had come out first, right, gang? However, Rebecca favored Jacob. The mom favored, you know, in my case, AJ, even though Cason had come out first. And I'm old and I'm blind and I'm ready to bless Cason. And Rachel, not Rebecca, Rachel, my wife, persuaded to fool me by impersonating uh, telling AJ, hey, you pretend like you're Case and he's all hairy and red and all that stuff and your dad's blind and you go in there instead of him. You guys know the story. And you get that blessing. Because Cason's hairy. Well, the word hairy, I'm using my kids in this. This is great. In this instance comes from the Hebrew word sayater, which is commonly, most commonly associated with a male goat. Esau wasn't hairy like a man, guys. He was hairy like a goat, and it was crazy unusual. 
Isaac, yes, he's old and he's blind, but guys, this dude had been through the ringer. Abraham's son, guys. <laughs> he knew he was, he was a big, big deal. He's not going to mistake just a, you know, some guys are hairy, some Italian guys or guys from Greece. You're like, man, look at that dude. You know, guy always has a shirt off. And you're like, could you put that back on? Good God, there's food stuck in there from four weeks ago. You know, hairy guy, but that's, that's just hairy guy. If you were to feel his arms and you were, doesn't matter. Like Isaac wasn't senile. He gives an incredible blessing coming up here, guys. Like he's, he's not like out of it. He's not seeing the walls melt and, you know, dirt and ants all over. Like, you know, like he's losing his mind. He's there. And yet, Rebecca says to Jacob, here, put on this animal skin. He's going to think you're your brother. Like, that's not human skin. He's hairy like a goat. Rebecca's solution to the problem removes all doubts that Esau, listen to me, was inhumanly hairy. Because she covered Jacob or AJ, his arms and neck in goat skins. Now, you ever been somewhere and pet a goat? You ever been in a, a pet farm or whatever? Yeah. How's that going for you? <laughs> pet a goat, man. They are, they are bristly, uh, dry, prickly, rough. I love them. Like they're super cute. They're always like ramming your balls and stuff though. You know what I'm saying? Like they're up next to you and they're like, and it's like right in the guy's nuts. Like, I don't know how they know how to do that. Kids are laughing. Yeah, that's great. You know how they feel. Very distinct. I have never felt that on a human being in my life. And I would rather not. Timothy says, there are a few people alive today, about 50 on the earth, five zero. Suffering from a rare genetic disorder called uh, hypo, hang on, hypertrichosis, otherwise known as werewolf syndrome, let's just call it that, uh, which causes their bodies to be covered in an inordinate amount of thick hair. Now, it's possible that Esau was born with hypertrichosis, but the double phenomenon of being a twin and having the genetic disorder is almost impossible. There is, however, another possibility. Now, listen to this. Hang with me, guys, because I agree with Timothy wholeheartedly here. I've been on this track for a while. Esau was not entirely human. Timothy goes on to say, it cannot be coincidental that both Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Isaac's wife, Rebecca, were both barren, right? These are children born to start the nation of Israel out of barren women. Impossible. You know, kind of like Mary, the virgin birth. Like God is saying, if this is going to happen, it's only going to happen through me. So neither is it coincidental that in both cases, the ill-begotten elder sibling threatened the continuity of the family line. In the first case, it was, of course, Ishmael. And in the second, it was Esau. Furthermore, he says, we must not fail to recognize the parallels between Cain and Abel Ishmael and Isaac and Esau and Jacob, every one of these sibling contenders were directly influenced by Satan, who intended to corrupt the bloodline of the Christ and usurp the birthright of Adam, just as John had beheld 
the dragon was ever poised to devour the male progeny of the women. Had Cain, Ishmael, or Esau received the birthright instead of their younger brothers, guys, imagine what, what God is working out here, then the birth of Christ would have been prevented and the dragon slayer prophecy foretold. Sarah, because of her barrenness in old age, was tempted to doubt the promise of God and persuaded Abraham to produce an heir through Hagar, their servant, right? Egyptian handmaiden. Ishmael was born as a result, but the scheme failed as soon as Sarah's womb miraculously came to life and Isaac was conceived. Having learned from this previous mistake, the dragon, it seems, took a more direct approach with Rebecca. <laughs> Timothy says, what was the cause of Sarah and Rebecca's barrenness? Of course, the condition could have been perfectly natural, and this would seem the most logical conclusion, if it were not for the red monstrosity that emerged from Rebecca's womb. Timothy says, is it possible that the dragon was tampering with the reproductive faculties of these women? Was Esau the product of a vitro fertilization? Could the same procedure for artificial insemination employed by gray aliens today account for the hybrid creature that preempted Jacob through the birth canal 3,000 years ago? These questions, though highly speculative, are worth pondering in light of the abduction phenomena and the breeding program it entails. As with Cain, it is ironic that Esau's carnal passions became the undoing of the dragon's carefully laid plan the birthright would have safely passed to Esau had his ferocious appetite not interfered. We move to the Bible. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my stupid birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to it, maybe now, then give it to me. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. You can imagine the dragon standing there in this scene, face palming with dismay as he witnesses Esau surrender the prize for a bowl of stew. It's important to recognize that Esau had to abdicate his birthright before Jacob could appropriate it. Had Esau not sold his birthright to Jacob with an oath, then the blessing of Isaac would have been nullified. Yet in another twist of irony, Timothy says, Esau's hallmark hairiness would deal the dragon his final blow. While Esau was away hunting, Rebekah covered Jacob's hands and forearms in goatskins and clothed him with his brother's garments, reeking with his particular odor before sending him into his father's tent to secure the blessing. The ruse succeeded. Isaac, believing him to be Esau, conferred the birthright to Jacob and appointed him to rule over his siblings and all the family of Abraham. What a moment, gang. This writer of Genesis here portrays Jacob as a usurper. And indeed he was. But had he not supplanted his brother Esau in the hierarchy of the family, then Israel would never have produced the Messiah. Mankind 
would not have a kinsman redeemer. In consideration of this fact, we are compelled to view the story from a higher vantage. In truth, Esau is the usurper whose ill-begotten birth preempted the promised seed and imperiled the fulfillment of the dragon slayer prophecy. Jacob grabbed Esau's heel and took back what rightfully belonged to him and to all of us, the birthright of Adam. As we will see, Jacob, like his father Isaac, was an archetype of Christ. The symbolic sacrifice of Isaac was a foretoken of Christ's first coming and sacrificial death, and Jacob reclaiming the birthright from Esau, a harbinger of his return at Armageddon and triumph over Apollo, the hybrid son of the dragon. Hey, oh, the Bible, guys, is so, so much more profound and deeper than you could ever imagine. The story of Jacob and Esau, it's the roadmap, guys, for understanding what's going to happen in the end of the age. As the dragon, Satan, cannot seize the birthright of mankind by force. Jesus has already planted that there. The evil one, Satan, the dragon, has to persuade us to sell it for a bowl of stew. He also has to present a claimant to the throne of Adam, who is human enough to inherit the seal of his authority. That is why the dragon intends to produce a male child, his seed, guys, with a human woman, just as the watchers did in the pre-flood world, just as that thing that Jesus was staring into, into the eyes of a man named Judas. Domination of the earth is what we're talking about. It doesn't belong to one man or even one family line. It belongs to all of mankind. We were all given that, right? That's how special we are. And the birthright, I believe, as Timothy says, is, is, is inherent in our genome. It's built into our DNA. It's part, it's intricate. It's part of the universe of who we are. That birthright is in us. We're all offspring of Adam, whether we choose Jesus or not. We're special. That's why the whole universe wants to, to have us. You can look at it this way. And this is, this is something a little bit different. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm rabbit trailing for a hot, hot minute here, but you know, what would, what would, what would the grays, what would aliens, what would, what would any of these things, what is so different about us here? Why are they focused on us here? There's a whole universe out there. Why are humans special? Both Christians and non-Christians, because you can look at it this way. We have this very special thing inside us that Timothy's talking about here. It's, it's, it's called glory. And nobody else has it in the universe. It's glory because we were made in God's image. We have glory. You can call it a soul, call it whatever you want. But they can feed off of that. They can be energized by that. They want to harvest our glory. The good guys, led by Yahweh, and the bad guys, led by the dragon, are both energized by who we give glorification to. And they both want 
our glory. But one has taken it and given us the choice to give it up. And the other is usurping. Our glory, our souls are what make us unique. We are the offspring of Adam, replicated with the seal of his likeness and endowed with the authority of its guarantees. Guys, the wholesale purchase of the human birthright would require universal or majority consent from the human populace at large. (laughs) Abdicating our authority to the dragon is one thing. Selling him our birthright is quite another. The first can be achieved through a voluntary transaction, but the second necessitates a genetic transformation. And we are getting there. Timothy says, recall that the prime objective of the great plan is to usher in a new golden age and enthrone the 10 kings of the golden age. Now we're talking, we're talking about before Genesis, in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, where we had this, this civilization here on earth, okay, deep within the earth, all of it. Uh, and then after that, what the fallen angels had done in bringing forth all of these, um, this magic to us before the second flood. The human hybrid progeny of the seven dragon princes with Apollo as Lord overall. These kings subordinate to their fathers will lead the nations into kinetic war with the kingdom of heaven. Once again, cultivating, cultivating, culminating at Armageddon. Timothy says the new golden age will come to pass. With the confluence of three essential compromises. Number one, the establishment of a new religion that impels men to become like the gods. Number two, the disclosure of a hostile alien presence and the arrival of the golden race. That's what they're whoring after, guys. Number three, by the way, anytime you see in the Bible the word whoring and the whole idea of prostitution, that is when it comes to Israel, other gods, all of it, and when it comes to you and I, the the idea is literally that we're cheating on God. It is prostitution to idols. It is whoring after them. We are the bride of Christ. And it is possible to prostitute ourselves out, which is exactly what we're doing anytime we choose something ahead of God. Number two, the disclosure of the hostile alien race and the arrival of the golden race. Number three, the development of grin technologies and the emergence of post-humanity. The third component, the post-human paradigm, is the key to usurping human dominion on planet Earth, become something other than human. The only way we can effectively sell our birthright is to willfully relinquish the genetic markers that make us human. This is precisely the goal of post-humanism, to discard the body of Adam in order to attain the attributes of the gods to dispense with the moral, mortal, I should say, and moral inhibitions of the human condition and evolve into overmen. In times past, such a lofty ambition was little more than a pipe dream. Today, it is a vision of not only the future, but where we are today. Friends, you read the news, 
<laughs> oh boy, if I could just get you to understand, nations, countries are being each run by a different god. That's very ancient. That does not have your best interest in mind. Guys, I'm about to say something that's going to piss some of you off, and I don't give a shit. You want to hear what it is? Democrat, Republican, idiots. Independents, idiots. Now, I'm not saying don't try to make change. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying anything unpatriotic about our country and the men and women who fight for it. So don't even go there. I am telling you that long ago, groups of ancient, very old individuals have taken over these nations and are in control of them. And they have infinite amount of money. They make nations rise and nations fall. And it doesn't matter if it's, again, it's anyone but Israel. It doesn't matter if it's China to them. It doesn't matter if it's Russia. It doesn't matter if it's the U.S. It doesn't matter if it's Germany 70 years ago. It doesn't matter. They control the agendas of man. And without getting into a rabbit trail at our one hour and 10, I want you to think about something. Now, I am going to date this podcast because I'm going to talk about Russia being in Ukraine right now. And we're going on the, what, sixth month? And I've talked about how we're bored and we've moved on. And, oh, yeah, it's still on the news. Wow, Russia's still doing that. Guess what, guys? Russia is very, very old. And the entities that are over Russia are ancient. Russia is not hurt. Russia is not going anywhere. Guys, if you're listening to this and it is, you know, it's not two years down the road, it's very soon here, understand something. I'm going to tell you what's happening. Boots on the ground right now. Russia has invaded Ukraine and is just messing around. They could have laid waste to them in a week. We put all these sanctions on Russia. All of this is planned, guys. And I'm going to tell you why. At least I'm going to show you without getting into this too much. The oligarchs of Russia are making more money right now than they ever have. With all these sanctions, with all this, so oh boy, we, the people of Russia are suffering and they're getting richer. Yes, we've kept a few of their billion dollar boats at bay. They don't care. They are not in any way, shape or form being hurt by this. They are gaining in power. Ukraine as part of this, is gaining their power. And they're working together in it, even though it's casualties, it's fighting, it's tough. Let me tell you about a proxy war that is happening from these global elites 
out of this whole thing. Do you know the people who have, now I know people lost their lives in Ukraine, hospitals, I get that. I am not, okay, I get it. Do you know though what they're going after here? The middle class of the US, guys. The middle class of Europe. They have to abolish our middle class. And it's who's getting hurt the most. Now you wait and you listen to this again in a year or two, you're going to see what I'm saying. Oh, whatever happened though, Russia? You, oh yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, our middle class is taking a massive chunk. Moves and counter moves. They want us to become something other than human. Because that is exactly Satan's play. Satan's play is always our DNA. And we live in a time right now where modern man is growing increasingly dissatisfied with the limitations of the human biology. We wouldn't have known it a hundred years ago. You just didn't know. I mean, people, people died from a toothache 200 years ago. You know what I mean? Like it took heroin to try to fix stuff. But now we know. And now we hunger for perpetual youth, unlimited knowledge, uninhibited pleasure driven by the will to power. We will endeavor to direct the course of our evolution and discard the body of Adam in order to become something greater. We will sell our birthright in the image of God. Give it a chance at eternity through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, his sacrifice on that cross, and his resurrection three days later for a bowl of stew. Timothy asks it this way, what happens when we are no longer human enough to possess the birthright of our species? Because there comes a point that that happens, gang. If we forfeit the image of the Elohim, the seal of authority inherent in our genome, who will defend our dominion on earth? Who will restrain the alien agency's intent on taking over? Timothy says, for thousands of years, the adversaries of mankind have been kept in check by the armies of the kingdom who defend and enforce our dominion on earth. But our authority is contingent on the image we bear. As soon as we discard the genetic markers that make us human, those forces will withdraw and leave us to our fate. In light of this principle, we may now understand the mystery of the restrainer that Paul talks about in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. You know what that is, that the restrainer will be removed and all hell on, on earth will break loose. And I believe that is indeed the Holy Spirit. Uh, in a sense, what Michael's role is with Israel. Timothy Alberino believes that the restrainer is solely Michael. That's okay too, because, you know, we're, we're just, it doesn't matter. We're talking about whatever force is here on earth. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is, you know, going to be only in those that accept Christ, but 
you know, Timothy, if you want to read, he, he talks about why he thinks that that is Michael and it has everything to do with Israel. But, but let's get back to the, the idea that, um, us being humans, son of Adam, abdicate our birthright by becoming post-human. He believes, Timothy believes Michael would withdraw his hand. And that's when all hell breaks loose. The Holy Spirit doesn't matter. He says the transition from human to transhuman to post-human will not transpire in a single event, but as a sequence of events over time, it is imperative according to the rules of the game that we take these steps ourselves in the same way that Esau had to willfully abdicate his birthright before Jacob could usurp it. So we will have to make a conscious choice to become the post-human through the implementation of our technology. In the beginning, we will use our technologies to mitigate the deficiencies of our genome. Gene therapies will successfully cure many genetic disorders, and minor cybernetic enhancements will improve certain physical and cognitive abilities. However, due to the quickening pace of degeneration, more extreme modifications, he says, will be necessary to counter the decline. As we inch ever closer to error catastrophe, it will become increasingly apparent that the human genome is no longer viable. Once we reach the end of our genetic rope, we will require an infusion of supplemental DNA from an outside source. Enter a new breed of men sent down from heaven to supply that very need. We've talked about this. Our desire to become like the gods will be greatly intensified when the progeny of the gods appear. Apollo and his golden-haired siblings will arrive precisely in the hour of insuperable crisis. They will first deliver us from the insectolin invasion and then help us redress the genetic apocalypse we face as a species. To the amazement of all, they will disclose that their fathers, the dragon princes, were the original progenitors of mankind. Ooh, the Apollo, right? history channel who engineered the first human beings by splicing segments of their own dna into the genome of a primitive hominoid species indigenous to planet earth they as the offspring of god and man will offer to upgrade our genome in the same way by mingling their dna with ours so that we may become like them at this point, having already modified our biology in significant ways, we will be far along the path of post-humanism, Timothy says. Indeed, the coming of Apollo will be triggered by our genetic transformation. The recipients of Apollo's genetic markers will con uh, consummate the final step in our evolution out of Adam and make the change immutable. The blood of the dragon's only begotten son, so to speak, will be offered for the salvation of mankind. It's just a reversal, gang, of what God's plan is. Apollo will be presented as the prototype of the new man, Humanity 2.0. Go back and listen to Tracking the Gods. In order to enter the kingdom of Apollo, you must be born again. The old man, Adam, must die. If the new man is to be resurrected to eternal life in the image of this beast, only members of the new golden race may be citizens of the new golden age. Those who reject rebirth will be marked as obsolete and unable to participate in Apollo's and, oh, we're getting back to Atlantis, 
this Atlantean world order. They are, in the words of Hubbard's spirit guide, unattracted by life ever evolving and defective seeds who must be eliminated from the social body. Humans are the problem now. They're gross. They have diseases. They're flawed. Boy, this goes back to the Matrix in 1999. Those who receive the mark of the beast will become ineligible for salvation through the work of the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ has but one provisio that we remain human. It's not hard, gang. The Son of God became a man to save mankind. Post-humans, by definition, are irredeemable. Jesus is a kinsman redeemer only for the offspring of Adam, his human brethren. This is why those who receive the mark are inexorably damned. You see, irredeemable. We see that in the Nephilim hybrids. Timothy says in the last days, and I agree with him, there will be scarcely a human being left on earth. The mark of the beast will be irreversible and hereditary, leading to the near extinction of the human species. However, a remnant of mankind will persevere until the return of Christ. While discussing the end of the age with his disciples, Jesus tells them, for there, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, No flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The phrase, the phrase, no flesh would be saved can also be said as no flesh would be able to be saved. This reminds us of before the flood, all flesh was corrupted. Jesus even talks about Noah a few verses later, but as the days of Noah were, So will the coming of the Son of Man be. What do you think that means? Now you know. The days are shortened for the sake of the humans, the elect, not to save their lives, but to preserve their humanity. If the days were not shortened, then there would be no candidates for salvation left on earth. No flesh would be able to be saved. All flesh would indeed be corrupted. I'm going to stop here. And when we pick up next time, we're going to talk about these days and the end. I hope that in this episode, you have realized the importance of what God's plan was coming out of Genesis chapter 3. The birthright the usurper, the cosmic chess match, and how important it is that your humanity be your humanity and your glory go to the glory of Yahweh. You know from my Leviticus that blood is the life force. We have a life force within us and we can give that to the evil one and I believe that charges him sacrifices. But it's also not just blood work. It's also part of our glory. It's what we do every single day. What your choices are today as you listen to this. 
Who will you give glory to in all that you do and what your hands are doing right now, what your feet are doing, what your eyes are looking at, what your heart's wanting? I hope you have some things to think about. I'm thankful that you're here. I love you.